Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. We are a community of people learning the way of Jesus to bless our city of Boise, Idaho, and beyond. Redemption Hill is a unique place. We are a collective of micro churches that do life together throughout the week and gather on Sundays to grow, worship, and celebrate what God is doing in our city. You are invited to join us Sundays at 9 a.m. at Discovery Church in Boise, where you can find the community you need in any season of your life. More details can be found at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the teaching segment from this week's Sunday Gathering. Afterwards, stay tuned for more information on how to get connected at Redemption Hill. My, my kids are pretty resilient and happy. Like across the board, they're pretty easy. But in you guys know like how, how bad summers can be because your kids stay up too late and do too much stuff for weeks at a time. And then they crumple into a ball on the floor and you're like, what happened? Like that you've just been running and running and running and there's, but they, but they don't have that, that schedule, the, the structure that they need to have the rest that they need to do what they need. And so your kids fall apart. We're the same way. We all have a need for structure and, and some of you more than others. Um, I was, uh, so Tom Brady is obviously the greatest quarterback of all time. And he just retired, he retired last week. And I saw an, uh, an article online this week that really fascinated me because Tom Brady's a 45 year old man. He is a middle-aged man, okay? And there was an article that said all of his friends are really worried about him because he's not going to have the structure that he's had over the last 23 seasons of playing football. A 45-year-old man, his friends are like, ooh, without his schedule and his trainers, and he, the guy may go a little crazy because he's all alone by himself. I mean, we're talking about an adult who's always had coaches and trainers and nutritionists and a rigid schedule from the time probably his ninth grade year of high school until he was 45. Every single year and every single month, he had a plan for training his body. And Tom is this obviously like incredible self-starter and works hard, has all these goals, but he lives with this absolute structure. And as soon as it's pulled away, his friends are like, I don't know if he's going to make it. In families, in healthy families, love is defined as predictable patterns of connection and formation and purpose. And so what we really want to talk about is in La Familia, the oikos, the the households of faith that we're trying to build, these predictable patterns of connection and formation and purpose create thriving households and thriving people. Our spiritual lives are built on predictable patterns of what we say is up, in, and out. Think about think about those places where you've been shaped the most spiritually or personally. Think about the the place the the environments where you have been shaped. My guess is that they were most likely not like one-off meetings or conferences. But they're rather the long, slow work of gathering in predictable patterns week in and week out, month after month, year after year, because we're shaped over time through experience. When I was in high school, I knew that every single Monday night, actually once a month, I would get a postcard in the mail and it would lay out for me, here's where the Young Life 
clubs are going to be over the next four weeks. And I knew that if I showed up at those places at 7:29 on Friday or on Monday night, that there would be a group of people who would love me and love my friends. It was this standing invitation where God could and did work through the long creative work of relationship. When I was in college, um, there, were, there isn't a lot of predictable patterns when you're between 18 and 25. But when I was in college, there was one of our friends, his, his mom, she would open up her house on Friday nights and 25 college students would pour in and we would sing and somebody would do a Bible study. And it was every single week for basically my entire college years. And I wouldn't go for weeks or months at a time, but I'd show up and there was always somebody there waiting for me and always somebody there to greet me. And it was an incredibly important and informative place for my spiritual life as I had just come back to faith. When Malia and I lived in LaGrande, uh, when we were working with college students at Eastern Oregon University, um, there was this couple who uh, led the kind of college and young adult ministry at this church there called Faith Center. And their names were Dave and Sunshine. And every Thursday night, they would open up their house and they would just feed as many college students as, sh as would show up. They lived like a block from Eastern Oregon University, It'd be like 50 kids. And because they had a meal there, a bunch of kids would show up and we'd eat the worst spaghetti and, and French bread you've ever had. And then we would sit and be formed through the relationships that Dave and Sunshine were creating in our space. And then I spent most of my 20s every single Tuesday night. I was at Mountain View High School sitting in their choir room or their pit or the auditorium with a group of 30 to 50 kids. And every single week we'd create a space where they would come and they would know somebody loved them show them how to walk with God, and show them that they had a distinct purpose to live into. It's these predictable patterns that actually shape what our lives become. But they, they're not just predictable patterns of anything. They need to be predictable patterns of the right kind of things. It's not, it's not just the Kiwanis Club where they have, has anybody ever been to like Kiwanis or like one of these like civic clubs you go and they have like their, they have a thing that they do every single week. They do the exact same thing and you know how it's going to go. And it, it, it honestly, the, the content doesn't really matter. They just do the liturgy every week, and, and you walk through it, and you leave, and you have a friend, and it's, it's a good thing. But that's not going to shape someone into a follower of Jesus. We have to be intentional about predictable patterns around the right kind of things. And so today, we're going to kind of look at what are those things that need to be the predictable patterns of microchurch and our, our gatherings. We talk about microchurch and what we don't mean when we say microchurch we don't mean small we actually mean minimal uh, micro to us is the humblest most complete simplest form of what it means to be god's people and what we say is we have a, a radical minimal ecclesiology which means that when we get together our microchurch has rhythm of up in and out of deep connection with god of formation in the way of Jesus and mission that God has called us to. Radical, minimal ecclesiology. And what we're going to see today in Acts chapter 2 and in Luke chapter 6 is that the early church in Jesus did have this same radical, minimal ecclesiology, the same predictable patterns, and they had this rhythm of up and out that we want to emulate here at Redemption Hill. So if you get your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. 
this is such a familiar passage because it's like the OG moment of the church, but it's just something we need to keep going back to because this was the most pure, unadulterated, unformed thing that the Spirit of God did in his people before we got too organized. This is how it looked, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. All of the believers, so this is right after 3,000 people were baptized because of Peter's preaching in the beginning of this chapter. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, and then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people and each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is the this, this simplest outpouring of what it means to be God's people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was the apostles themselves had to make sure that everybody knew what Jesus did and what he was teaching them. We talked a bit about the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples and make disciples by teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and I'm going to be with you till the end of the day. So this is what the apostles are doing. They're sitting at the temple courts because that's like the only outdoor space that's like large in a Jewish town is going to be either the synagogue or the temple. So outside the, outside the temple, they've got this massive courtyard. They all meet there, and the apostles are teaching them what Jesus had taught them. They're telling the stories. They're retelling all the ways that Jesus had worked so that they knew what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. And then, obviously, 3,000 people is too much to have a meal. Has anybody ever tried to feed, like, a few hundred people? It takes months of planning to feed a few hundred people. That's why they said, you know what? It's really dumb to try to do this all together. And so what they did was they said, we're just going to go, and we're going to invite somebody, and we're going to go have a meal in our home, and we're going to start to see these these dispersed versions of the church go out. And so they they received from the apostles, then they would go have a meal together, and then all of them would have the Lord's Supper in their homes. The Lord's Supper was not meant to be a special thing that was only served by priests or pastors. The Lord's Supper was meant to be something that was taken at the meal with your family around the table. And it was meant to be an open table where everybody belonged and people who, especially people who were of need, people who, uh, in this moment after Pentecost, there was thousands of people from all over Israel who stayed in Jerusalem because of what the Spirit had done. And so there's all these people from Galilee and Samaria and down south who are in town and the Jewish believers in Jerusalem had to invite them into their home so that they would have food and they'd have a place to stay. This sort of radical hospitality. So you've got this picture of in, which is disciple-making, formation. They're, they're, they're receiving the apostles' teaching and they're, they're growing in the way of Jesus. They're having these meals, and these meals were really an out. They were mission. It was a place for people to invite people into their homes and retell the stories that they had heard from the apostles. 
Um, what we see is that in the houses, they had prayer. They had signs and wonders where people were being healed and saved and people were being delivered from powerful forces in the universe. Um, they, we see that they shared with those in need this sort of generosity that would mark um, the kingdom people. And then you also had the temple where the preaching would happen was this open air arena where anybody could experience what Jesus had taught. So we have a real picture right away of up this deep connection with the father through prayer and through time in his word. You have formation, which happens through the apostles teaching and the conversations around the table. And then you have out where they're inviting people to the table and teaching them the way of Jesus. We see that they had shared devotional life around the word, worship, and prayer. They shared their meals. They shared their resources. They shared their fellowship, and they shared their mission. This is the shape of the people of God. We get together. We connect with the Father. We connect with one another, and then we invite the world to experience the power of his kingdom. Up, in, out. Predictable patterns. You see the same thing with Jesus in Luke chapter 6. If you get your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. So it starts off, Jesus and his disciples are on a Sabbath. They've probably left the synagogue, and they're walking along, and the Pharisees are probably right there with them, and they're grabbing some wheat, and they're eating the, the, um, the wheat berries that they had taken off the stalks of the wheat. And the, the Pharisees are like, what are you guys doing? But they had been at synagogue because that was a place where they had gathered around the word of God together. So they had this up rhythm they every week they jesus and his disciples were at the synagogue they were never they were we don't see throughout any of the gospels that jesus was criticized for leaving behind the regular gathering of the people around god's word jesus did that even when he wasn't teaching jesus would show up and sit under the other rabbis of the synagogues where he attended so that's what we do we gather around god's word week in and week out and then we see that Jesus heals on the Sabbath. Uh, verse 6, on another Sabbath day, a man with the deformed right hand was in the synagogue. And while Jesus was teaching, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Can you imagine just going, I hope he heals that guy's hand. Wouldn't that be great? We can catch him. And that guy over there is like, I hope he heals my hand so I have a hand. And then Jesus is like, hold my beer. And then he steps in and fixes this guy's hand and at the same time teaches them that the Sabbath is not a rule to be followed but a gift to be received. Jesus is giving this picture of even in the midst of our worship, the kingdom of God breaks in and cares for those who are far from God. Jesus knew their thoughts and he confronted them. And then verse 12, after that, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. He prayed to God all night. And at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples, and he chose the 12 of them to be his disciples. So we see Jesus has this rhythm over and over again of he's with his disciples, he's with the crowds, and he's with his Father. Do you see the rhythm? The predictable pattern of be with the Father, receive from the Father, give away to his disciples that he called what it meant to be the way of Jesus, and then he lived it out among the crowds, giving away the kingdom of God through signs and wonder and teaching, up, in, and out. The predictable pattern of Jesus and his disciples. We see in verse 17, when they came down from the mountain, that 
the disciples that Jesus had called, they stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea, from Samaria, from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They'd come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him, and he healed everyone. People have been trying to take one of these three things and make it the primary thing forever. Almost all churches are good at one or two of these things and never three. You've got some churches that are, um, well, I, I got a picture to, to illustrate this. You got that picture? Oh, next one, or the one before it. There we go. Never skip leg day. <clears throat> you see this, this photo is, I don't know if it's real or not, uh, but there's like all these memes about never skip leg day. This is what the church looks like most of the time. We're like really good at the, you know, the back and the chest and the shoulders and the arms, and then we're like, our legs are really weak. I'd say that's like an up and in church, right? They're really good at connecting with the Father, and they're good at connecting with one another, but the gospel feet fitted with readiness of the gospel of peace, the feet fitted with readiness of the gospel of peace are not going forward. And so we need to start asking, what kind of a church are we? You've got churches like uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church or even the modern worship movement that are really good at up. They get together, and they're like, Hell or high water, we're going to pray until God shows up in this place, and we're going to be really good at making these times connect with the Father really good. And we're going to be really good at loving and caring for one another. And then we're so good at those two things, we don't really have a mission outside of the church. Everything is focused inward. Um, you have um, some churches like, uh, like the seeker-sensitive church and lots of modern mega churches that are really good at up some, some worship and prayer, and they're good out, like making sure that there's a place for everybody who has yet to follow Jesus. And they're good at marketing and connecting with people far from Jesus. But they don't have the in. They don't have the spiritual formation that grows leaders and grows movement. And then you even have in and out churches. And I, I would say that these are like liberal mainline churches where they believe that family and service, this community and service are the only things that we do. And there is no transcendent connection with the Father. That's always secondary or tertiary. All of those are malformations and truly not God's people. Because God's people have rhythms of up, in, and out. What we say is that kingdom power comes through those who gather for prayer and worship, the apostles' teaching, meals, signs, wonders, and generosity, and that that is what it means to be missional to be all of God's people, called and doing what he does. So what is, what is up? Up is all about um, God's presence, not about our prayers and our songs. Prayers and songs are a way for us to enter into God's presence, but it's much more about our intentionality, how we're living deeply in connection with the Father. In is about formation and discipleship. This is not, we don't value community. I don't know if you realize this, but we, community is not a part of our mission. Community is a byproduct of us doing the things God calls us to. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Alan Hirsch, he says um, that the church should have communitas rather than community. And the way that he defines communitas is it's like a band of brothers. When people are at war together, 
even if they hate each other, they are bound together for life because they almost died together, shoulder to shoulder in the trenches. When your, when your mission is to create community, what you have is this weird consumer, uh, we show up to, to enjoy one another and to take from one another and to create an organization where we enjoy one another. And what happens is we have this, it's, it's really, it's weird, man. It's really strange because if you don't have some sort of mission, it just gets weird. And so what we think and what we've seen is that all of our deepest friendships happen when we're doing things together on mission. And so community is a, is a, is a lagging indicator of us doing what we're supposed to be doing. But the in is not about community. The in is about formation, discipleship. It's about us submitting completely to the way of the Father and being transformed in the way of Jesus. And then the out is not just out there, but it's us living the call of God to pursue justice, generosity, and proclaim his kingdom coming in power. That is the out. And so when we participate in his justice by bringing about changes in our community and um, caring for those who are the most weak and vulnerable, that is out. When we live generously, it is a sign and symbol of the kingdom of God coming to life because our things are no longer our own. They're God's. And we, when we proclaim the kingdom of God as good news to a world that's lost and broken, that is out. So up, in, and out. So that's the three parts that we need in every, it's the predictable patterns of up and and out that create the sort of predictable patterns that we want in our community. Um, let's see. Let's see where I'm at. Make sure we got, okay, we're close. Um, we've been talking about spiritual parents, and we believe that up and and out doesn't happen without spiritual parents because spiritual parents are the ones that bring intentionality to our oikos, the, the family on mission. And so, if you're a spiritual parent or God's calling you to be a spiritual parent or you've just been thrust into that role by me or by your micro church, um, that's a place where you bring intentionality to your gatherings. You say, I'm going to give direction so that God, so that our community points ourselves towards God and towards his purposes rather than our own. So we have spiritual parents who give direction. We have predictable patterns that creates space for formation, and then we have missional purpose so that we exist for what God is up to in the world, just like Jesus did in his ministry, just like the early church did. So we need those things to happen. But it's not going to happen if we're, we're malformed, if we're like that bodybuilder. And, and all of us probably like one of those three things more than the others. Okay, I'm just going to do a little survey. Raise your hand. Seriously, like, raise your hand. Who here feels more drawn to the up part? Who feels more drawn to just, like, pursuing God's presence than the other two things? All right? Who here feels drawn to the out part, getting out in the world, mixing up justice and mission? And who here feels drawn towards discipleship and, and formation? And, like, all of us have a primary place where we feel drawn, and our communities will be malformed if that's the only person leading. And so we need to have intentionality around these rhythms of all three of those things. Um, and what we say is that the church, when we talk about the microchurch as a microcosm of what the church is, these rhythms need to look the same way from the microchurch up to the megachurch, from your family gathering to your microchurch 
to our network here at Redemption Hill, to the syndicate, which are citywide movement, and to the kingdom of God. It should look the same. Like I, there, I have a little picture of a fractal here. Do we know what a fractal is? Fractals are cool because every part of it is the thing that you see. All of that is the same pattern written all over again in smaller, smaller versions interconnected with one another. It's kind of like this. Uh, if you have an acorn, inside that acorn is the DNA that would create a tree, a massive tree, tens of thousands of pounds of tree. And that same acorn that could create that tree, that tree that will grow from it, will create literally millions of acorns. And in those acorns themselves then is a grove or even a forest. The same DNA that single acorn has within it what could become tens of millions of acres of forest. That's what it's like with the kingdom of God. Uh, Ellen Hirsch talks about the apostolic genius where the Holy Spirit is the same in you as he is in the kingdom of God. And so we need to have it come to life inside of us because that's when the missional um, opportunities of the kingdom just start to, to flow. And so our micro churches look the same as what we do as a, as a community, as a network that gathers together. It's the simplest part of the whole that's indivisible. And so in every Jesus follower is a disciple maker. And in every disciple maker is a spiritual parent. And in every spiritual parent is a microchurch. And in every microchurch is a network. And in every network, a movement. You see how God moves in and out, but it all has the same shape inside and out. Uh, I, I always talk about it like it's rusting, Russian nesting dolls of connection that we're kind of moving in and out of. So I, I want to ask you, let's take a few moments. Uh, we're we're going to finish up real quick here. Um, and actually, the band can start moving forward. I want to take a few minutes and think through your life and also think through your microchurch. What is your rhythm? Is there some sort of a rhythm of up in and out that you're living in personally, that you're living in with your family you live with, that you're living in in our microchurch? What part of Redemption Hill is unformed and doesn't have good predictable patterns of up in and out? Take a moment. I want you to just think for a second. Maybe even take out your phone and write down some notes. Where, where are we misshapen? Where are you misshapen? Like you've been missing out on leg day. As the church has talked about predictable patterns, we felt the need to do everything always, all the time. But the reality is that God gives us rhythms of up in and out. And what I want you to start thinking about in your micro churches over a four or six week period, what is your rhythm of up in and out? Maybe you meet three times over six weeks and you have one gathering that's focused on up, one gathering that's focused on in, and one gathering that's focused on out. Maybe over the course of three months, you have one month that's focused in. 
One month is focused up. One month is focused out. Maybe the way that God is shaping Redemption Hill is that our huddles is this deep part of formation in our community. And our oikos is where we do um, most of our out and our, and our partnership with God, the, the family on mission in our microchurch. And then when we gather together on Sunday, there's an up shape to it. But we want to make sure that from the bottom to the top, we're looking like Christ. And we're about to take communion here in a minute. I'm going to invite Jesse up to kind of lead us through that. Jesse, you can come on up. Um, but the, the table is meant to be something that is reproducible from start to finish. It's meant to be a picture of what it looks like to be God's people. And I, I pray that we start to take on a more holistic shape as God's people. Um, Cliff actually already took us to Romans 12 today, and I'm going to read from there before we come take communion together. And this is the last communion that we'll take before we enter into this Lent season. So I'm inviting us as a congregation to take this communion as the entry point to this 40 days of remembering and of turning our faces towards what Jesus did and what that means for us as a people Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. And I know I've said this before, but another translation for this is your spiritual act of worship is this is your reasonable act of worship. Like in light of what God's done for us, the only reasonable thing to do is to turn our lives over to him and to say, what do you have for me, God? And this pattern of living connected to the Father, connected to each other, and connected to the people that God loves and calls us to will be the thing that helps us test and see what is God's will. So as you take communion today, we're going to say two things. We're going to say, thank you, God, for your mercy, because that's really what this blood and this bread represents, the greatest act of mercy. And then we're going to ask ourselves a question, what does it mean for me to be a living sacrifice? What does that look like? So thank you, God, for your mercy. And what does that mean for me? Okay, let me pray for you, Redemption Hill. Lord, thank you that um, this is a rhythm of grace that we're being invited into. This isn't law. This isn't a demand on us. This is an invitation from a God of mercy and a God of grace. And so we receive it with that spirit and we receive it with thanks and and we receive it with the understanding that it it is reasonable to turn our faces to you and say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, what do you have for me? Help us to be a people who go there together that we're not on mission alone, we're not a family alone, we're not in our marriages alone, we're not single alone. 
You've called us to be friends with you and friends with each other and friends with the people who feel so outside of what you've offered, Lord. So may we be a people of mercy and may we be a people of grace and may we be a people who reasonably and loudly say to you, we don't want anything except for you, our Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at Redemption Boise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.